Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, birthplace of actress Patricia Clarkson and NFL wide receiver Mike Wallace, who will be playing for the Philadelphia Eagles in 2018, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, birthplace of actress Joey Lauren Adams and Green Day guitarist Jason White. Tonight we'll be discussing the conflicting statements made by Casey Anthony during the 31 days that her daughter Kaylee was missing. During the investigation and search for Kaylee, the evidence against Casey and the jury verdict that convicted her of lying to police but acquitted her on all charges related to Kaylee's death. We'll also examine the change to state laws that came out of this tragic and controversial case. As always, this is a live show, and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael. Good evening, Lisa. Uh, Definitely an interesting case we're finally getting to cover. This is, you know, we have an inside joke that this is our cursed episode. Right, right. I, I, I'm, well, we, we need to be careful because right. right now, for all we know, we're talking to each other and nothing's, oh, and nothing's going out on the air. And see, I just heard unmuted. Yeah, <laughs> knock on wood. Hopefully, hopefully everything will be working. And no, I, for some odd reason, my computer, even though you were talking, thank God you were talking. My computer didn't show you as I'm <laughs> muted, so I moved you over to the right side. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. Um, so, and I want to say, I want to say something real quick, especially for people that are maybe listening for the first time. Uh, we are not a podcast that reinvestigates cases. We are a podcast that reports information about cases from court records, court testimony, opinions, etc. Uh, if you're looking for a, a podcast that is going to presume somebody's innocent and look at the case as a blank slate, 
this is not the show for you. You know, though, so, I'm gonna have with to that say, said, I'm going to have to say, though, we're going to kind of contradict ourselves on this one because Casey was indeed found not guilty, but we're presumed well, guilty. Well, no. You know what I'm saying? Not right. Acquittal and not guilty is not necessarily a finding of innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, acquittal means the state did not meet their burden of proof. And that brings up an interesting topic in uh, a couple of the interviews done by one of the alternate jurors who was not actually on the deliberating jury. He has said one of the problems was that the state failed to prove how Kaylee died. That is not an element that is necessary to get a murder conviction, but that is something that the jury expected to be done. The irony is that a cause of death could not be determined because of the nature and the state of the body when it was discovered six months after Kaylee disappeared. Well, and see, that's the weird thing because, you know, and we're going to get into this in the trial the uh, prosecution definitely laid out, you know, uh, overwhelming theory of the uh, pigs in a blanket, so to speak, is what it's called. And, uh, you know, I believe it was, I forget what it's called now, that she looked up chloroform. She looked up chloroform, and I Correct. believe they said that she smothered her in the blanket. So, I mean, they definitely presented, I guess, a theory, so to speak. Correct. Uh, they did. They presented a theory. Uh, actually, the the state theory and the finding of homicide uh, related to Kaylee's death was due to the fact that when the skull was found, a piece of duct tape was attached to the skull over the portion of the nose and mouth. Right. And... There's no reason for that to be there with an accidental death, natural causes death. The only reason that would be there is a deliberate act to cause death. Jose Baez, Baez being the great criminal defense attorney he is, proceeded to come up with his own reason for that being there. You know, I I got to give well, it to the Well, yeah, guy. The guy I, I believe I believe it was Dr. Werner Spitz that came up with the uh that the tape was placed there by someone at the medical examiner's office. Mhm. Um which is ridiculous because there are photos of the of the skull at the time it was found and recovered prior to the medical examiner's office that clearly showed the duct tape in position on the skull. They also argued that it couldn't have been on there when Kaylee was alive because there was no DNA from Kaylee on the duct tape. What they, that was kind of, you know, misleading and pulling the eyes or wool over the eyes of the jury because the reason they didn't find DNA was because deterioration caused by the moisture and high heat over the time that the body was in that little swamp. 
So, but yeah, we'll yeah. get into the circumstantial. It was an entirely circumstantial case um, because Casey was not going to tell the truth. Um, but uh, it was a pretty strong circumstantial case. But we'll get into that a little oh, bit I later. Agree. I agree. I agree. But let's talk about, as we always do, let's talk about the players in this situation. Mm-hmm. Starting out with uh, Casey's parents, George and Cindy Anthony. And, you know, George is going to play a rather shocking role in the defense case. You know, nobody saw that one coming. Yes. Um, Although from Casey Anthony, it's not really a surprise. Uh, Yeah, George and Cindy were, uh, I think they were originally from Ohio. Uh, George had been a police officer. Cindy was a nurse. Um, I don't know too many facts, but I believe while he was a police officer, George was involved in an on-the-job auto crash, and he had pretty serious injuries, and I believe someone died, and that kind of um, had an effect on him, and so he was no longer able to work as a police officer. And they eventually moved down to Florida with their two children. Um, And he worked kind of security jobs, odd jobs, lost his jobs many times. So Cindy was, as a nurse, the breadwinner in the family, going back for many years. And she was also, you know, a person who worked very hard and was very good at her job. You know, and Cindy, as we talked about a little bit last week, actually plays a key role in the case. She makes the original 911 call. Uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, yeah, she's the one who makes the original 911 call. So she plays a pretty key role in, her, in and of herself, you know. But mm-hmm. I believe she makes a, you know, very big error in her judgment when she flip-flops a little bit. Yes, and we'll talk about that as well. Right. I have some theories on that. <laughs> okay. But, uh, and then okay. they have uh, their son, Lee, and he has not spent a lot of time in the public eye, and so I don't really, I don't think it's appropriate to delve too much into his personal life. He's a few years older than Casey, he seems like he's a pretty level-headed, um, a, a pretty level-headed guy, at least insofar as I can tell from what parts he played in the investigation. Um, yeah. But you know, he was a, he was a young adult. Casey was twenty-two or twenty-three. I think he was twenty-six, twenty-seven. There's like a maybe four-year age difference between Lee and Casey. Absolutely. And so, and he's, he's been out of the public eye since, you know, I, I think since the trial. Yes. I mean, for the most part, Lee has kind of been a background figure in this case because, you know, there's so many polarizing figures in this one with between Casey, yeah. George, Cindy, yeah. as well as Jose Baez. Yeah. So and then we have Casey. About- yeah. Uh-huh. 
Casey was born in Ohio. Um, you know, the, the reports, she had a far, fairly normal childhood. She seems like she was the princess of the house. And the impression that I get from the different statements and things that I read in, in researching the case is that while Cindy may have worn the pants in the family and been the breadwinner, everything kind of resolved around keeping Casey, revolved around keeping Casey happy. And I'm just going to put it out there. I really think the more I read, the more it seems that Casey was just a bad seed from very early on. And oh, neither Cindy nor George nor Lee ever knew quite what to make of it. Casey's um, always Casey, what I can tell. One of the you know, one of the first biggest indicators of something wrong with her, she stopped going to school in her senior year. And so she was not going to graduate. She had her parents believing she was graduating, family was coming down to Florida coming from wherever else in Florida they may have lived, to see Casey walk across the auditorium, you know, stage, get her diploma. And about a week, maybe two weeks before the graduation, I mean, she she had gotten the cap and gown in the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. About a week or two before, George and Cindy get a call down to the school, and the school informs them Casey is not going to graduate. Right. Because she hasn't been going to school. Well, of course, Casey and George, uh, George and, and Cindy are upset that the school didn't contact them, but at the time, Casey had turned 18. So under privacy laws, uh, this would have been in 1992, um, 93, 94, somewhere around there, the school felt like she's 18, we can't call her parents, which is kind of stupid, but... You know, that's the way it, the, as an 18-year-old, Casey would have had, you know, cause to go after the school if she had a problem with them contacting her, her parents. But um, Right, she would have probably so if she knew that. They confront Casey, and Casey tells them, oh, no, no, it's one class, one credit. They said, I can go across, I can get an envelope, it's not going to have a diploma, but... I can still finish high school. And so then they, I guess they don't know what to believe, and it comes down to the day of the graduation, and then she's like, okay, well, Casey's not graduating. Now, one of the reasons I think Cindy handles these things in the way that she does is because she doesn't understand why Casey's doing, why Casey's lying, why Casey's not being honest and telling them what's going on. And I think also for her, she's embarrassed. They make all this fuss about Casey graduating, and then Casey's not going to graduate. And so she thinks, she wonders how that's going to reflect on her. So I think that that's why instead of Casey having consequences for things like this and being made to face the music, they just try and kind of cover it up and sweep it under the rug and nobody will talk about it, you know, because 
and maybe even Casey has a temper, and we don't know what Casey might do if she's right. confronted or, I mean, or subjected to consequences. Yeah, we don't, you know, we found out later on exactly how bad that temper was, potentially. Potentially, although I don't, I don't know that it was necessarily a fit of temper. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get into that later. Right, right, and I mean, then probably the saddest figure in this whole story is little uh, Kaylee. Uh, yes, you know, let us know about her short, short and brief life. Kaylee was born on August 9, 2005, and last week when we were talking, I, I made an error in her age. Um, at the time she disappeared, she was two, getting ready to turn three in August. Um, okay. I mean, if you look at the pictures of her, she was a beautiful little girl. She had beautiful, big, like hazel brown eyes, a beautiful smile. She seemed like a very sweet girl. In the little videos, there's one that was taken the day that um, the day before she disappeared with her great grandfather, who was in an assisted living nursing home facility. And she was very sweet, and she seemed very intelligent. Uh, she was starting to talk. She was starting to, uh, you know, her little personality was. Uh, was there, and Cindy and George have all talked about, you know, little things about Kaylee's personality and how sweet she was a sweet child. Um, And she certainly, you know, she had her grandparents taking care of her. They were all living in the Anthony's house in uh, Orlando on Hope Spring Drive. And the right. day before Casey, Kaylee went missing, Cindy took her to visit with the great-grandfather. And then they went back to the house, and they Kaylee and Cindy went swimming. Uh, there are some reports that there was a bit of an argument between Casey and Cindy the night of the 15th. And Casey had actually moved out with Kaylee on the 9th, but somehow ended up back at the house on the 15th. Right, right. Well, I mean, let's be honest, partying doesn't pay the bills. Yeah, well, and yeah, not having a job doesn't pay the bills. Um, (laughs) We'll get into that a little bit later. But... um, so, I mean, uh, yeah, what what she would be like now, this this year she would have been turning 13, or she would have turned 13 on August 9th had she lived. Oh, wow. I mean, that's crazy yeah. to think about it. She would have been a teenager by now. Mm-hmm. But let's go ahead and talk about the uh, 31 days, you know, between June 16th and July 16th, you know, let's start out with Casey's lies, you know, 
as to where her daughter's whereabouts are. Right. Um, During that time, Casey and Kaylee left. Sometime in the afternoon of June 16th, they left the Anthony's house. Both of them were carrying backpacks. They drove off in Casey's little Pontiac Sunfire. Um, Now, interestingly, sometime after they left, after George had gone to work, there was computer activity on the Anthony's home computer on Casey's password-protected account. Right. Casey had told George she was leaving, taking Kaylee to the babysitter, who didn't exist, and then going to work to a job she didn't have. That night, Kaylee was seen, Casey was seen, I wish they had not named these people with the same sounds. Now I know how my grandmother felt with Lisa Lynn and Lee. Um, Casey was seen with her boyfriend in Blockbuster Video and a couple of other places, no Kaylee. Kaylee was not at the boyfriend's house or apartment. Um, Kaylee was nowhere to be found. And not only did Casey lie to her mother when her mother wanted to talk to Kaylee or have Casey bring Kaylee to the house or bring her home, Casey lied to her friends that Kaylee was with her mother or Kaylee was with the babysitter. She told her mother Kaylee was in Jacksonville, Kaylee was at SeaWorld, Kaylee was having a princess brunch, all these elaborate things that she had you know, she had these imaginary friends that didn't exist, Jeffrey Hopkins and Juliet Lewis and Jeffrey's son, Zachary, and Zenaida's sister and Zenaida's sister's daughter. And these are all people that, you know, Casey made up, and she made up these names, and she made up these stories about these people and their connection to her life. And it, it's just, it's mind-boggling at just how much she made up. And I mean, Um, if I'm remembering correctly, she almost got somebody arrested, speaking of Zanny the nanny. Wasn't there somebody actually named by that name? Well, as it turns out, there was a woman named Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez, which is the name that Casey gave. The woman did not match the description per se, uh, that Casey was giving for this imaginary woman. But um, I think she did end up having contact with police, and it was believed that Casey had a friend at the apartment complex. Zanata Gonzalez had looked at an apartment in that complex, and that that may have been where Casey got the name. Uh, and you would think Zenaida would not be a common name, but apparently it is. <laughs> and with the Latin American countries and, and uh, Hispanic cultures, last name, you generally have your mom's last name and your dad's last name. So that's how you get Fernandez Gonzalez. 
and I think Mexican and um, Colombian, especially. So yeah, you you think and Fernandez and Gonzalez, you'd think are common names, but put them together and they you know they're somewhat unique. And the woman did sue Casey for defamation. Um, like I said, she had contact with police. She probably had contact with media. Um, uh-huh. So it was, you know. And interestingly enough, when when Casey was referring to Zanny the nanny, Zanny is also a uh, slang for Xanax. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but again, this is this shows a little bit like Jody Arias, maybe, you know, Jody Arias squared. Casey invested a lot of time in these lives, and she kept them going for for months and, and years. I mean, she, she fabricated emails from non-existent supervisors telling her she had to work to get out of the house and go party and have her parents not ask where she was. Right, and that's the weird thing. Like, you bring up the non-existent job. Like, you know, most people, once they're caught, they're going to admit their lie. No, Casey likes right. to double down and pitch as absolute far Ex- as she could. They took exactly. her to Universal Studios. The police did. Exactly. I- and... She doubled she doubled down by saying she had gotten a call from Kaylee and Kaylee was telling her a story. Mhm. And you know that she was, you know that that she was being threatened that they they were going to, you know, hurt Kaylee if she didn't do what they said, although she never said what they wanted her to do. You know, so it, it's sometimes it the story it's very elaborate, but then there are key pieces missing. And I think that story in and of itself gives us an idea of why Casey did what she did. Kaylee was becoming verbal. Her right. days of saying, we're going, Kaylee's going to her babysitter, and I'm going to work were going to end because Kaylee was going to say, mommy and I went here and I went to sleep and then mommy and I came home. Or mommy and I went here and did this, that, and the other thing and mommy wasn't at work. Right. And not be able to say who Zanny was and, and, you know, all these other kids and all these other people that were supposedly in Kaylee's life. So I think that that's one of the reasons. Um, I think there were a myriad of reasons. I don't know if Casey Anthony knows why she did what she did. Um, But, you know, I think that her lies were going to catch up to her and bite her in the ass. And she had to do something, and so Kaylee had to die. Right, and that's the sad thing about it is, you know, you're absolutely right. Her party days, basically she chose her party days over her child's life. Correct, correct. And yeah. she, you know, it's 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 so, the irony 
she can't, she's never been able to own up to anything she's done. When she got caught stealing money from her grandfather, she said she needed a new phone for work because they required them to get this special phone and they didn't have the budget to give her the money to get the phone so that she had to get the phone and then they were going to reimburse her. And the reimbursement never came. She was stealing money from Cindy. Cindy may want to deny that, but Cindy told way too many people in her life about Casey stealing money and running her into debt to be able to now deny that any of that was happening. Right. And then right before um, the gig was up, Casey stole money from a friend of hers who she had been stringing along with stories of her parents getting a divorce and moving out of the house and Casey and Amy and Kaylee were going to all move in the house, live in the house, and it was going to be so awesome, and they would have so much fun, and they were such great friends. And then, you know, the girl goes out of town. Casey says, can I borrow your car because mine broke down? My car actually ran out of gas because apparently I don't know how to fill a gas tank. And she was using the friend's car, found her checkbook, and thought, oh, okay, wrote checks to herself, wrote checks at Target, paid her phone bills, you know, did all these things, stealing money from her friend. Wow. And had absolutely no remorse about it at all. She definitely had something to leave wrong. Not having a, not having a job. I think Casey was involved in a lot of theft from a lot of different people. And she just had never gotten caught because there's no way she could have a job, not have a job for two and a half years and pretend to be going to work and, and earning a paycheck without being able to have something to show for it. Right. Right, absolutely. I mean, what did she do every year when her parents would file taxes, you know, things like that? Well, she was she was an adult. And, uh, of course, she probably wasn't filing taxes because she had no income. But she was probably right. pretending to file taxes and probably pretending that she was getting, you know, a $2,500 earned income credit and she's going to be getting a $2,500 uh, income tax refund, so she probably had to steal that from somewhere. Um, there's also speculation and rumor about maybe being involved in some kind of escort business. Wow. But it's rumor and speculation, um, but but that would also explain how she could have any money She was either stealing people blind or she was working as an escort. Very true. The world's oldest profession. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and then the gig was up when uh, Casey's car, which she had abandoned in a bank parking lot, after it ran out of gas, apparently for the second time, uh, was towed 
to a tow yard. And George and Cindy Anthony were contacted about it. Right. And that was when Cindy decided, okay, enough of this shit. And she tracked Casey down. And physically brought her home. The calls to the sheriff's office, she wanted Casey arrested for stealing the car and stealing money from her grandfather. Because she wanted to know where Kaylee was. And and Casey was still saying, she's with Fanny, she's with the nanny, it's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. And nobody believed it. And the police didn't believe it. But they humored her. They went on a wild goose chase to three places in uh, in Orlando area that Casey said she knew Zanny was connected to. And then the next day they came back and took Casey to Universal. And, I mean, when you see the interviews with the detectives, I mean, she she just has... She has no shame. She went to the security guy and kind of quietly talked to him and got, you know, on the property and she's going back in the offices and she's waving at people and telling them, hey, and how you doing? And then detectives following along, they knew she didn't work there. They had already figured that out. But they let it go and let her go on. And finally they get to a, they turn to go down a hallway and it's a dead end. And then Casey turns, he's like, okay, I don't really work here. She hadn't worked there for two years. Because she, after Kaylee was born, she just quit showing up for work. And they let her go. But for two years, she pretended to still have a job that she got fired from. Absolutely. Or that she abandoned. Wouldn't you if you wanted to live off your parents? I I just, I don't, like I said, I think that they had, I think when they found, when they realized she was lying, I think they would catch her in small ones. And they were angry, but then there was never any consequences or follow through. Teacher, this is not how we do it. Um, I, some people have said that they, uh, you know, that George and Cindy were as bad as she was, but I just, I just don't see that. Um, right. I mean, they were very and, complacent. Like I said, I think it was more, and I think George, George was thrown under the bus. So, you know, he had a wake up call, but I think Cindy still is torn. You know, she lost Kaylee, and she loved Kaylee very much, but she doesn't want to lose Casey. And she wants to maintain a relationship with Casey. Although, my mom, she would have cut me loose. She would have cut me loose when I stole from my grandfather. That would have been it. Never speak to me again. And my mom would have, you know, would have really, truly cut me loose. There would have been no, okay, I'm sorry. 
not really. It would that would have been it. I mean, you know, this is a woman when I was suspended for skipping class. My mother made me go to school every day for three days and sit in the front lobby, effectively chained to a couch, having to ask permission to go to the restroom in the school office to teach me consequences for a stupid decision. So, like I said, I, I, they had right. no follow through or consequences. Like they were scared to do so with tasers. Yeah, they 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 seem to be scared to do so. Um, definitely scared to do so. And you know, her behavior just continued to deteriorate. And so. Um, when the police get involved, that's when Casey comes up with the kidnapping story. And she initially tells police the last time she saw Kaylee was June 9th, which we know is incorrect because George saw them on June 16th and Cindy, you know, Kaylee was with Cindy on June 15th. Um, But uh, she says she took her to the babysitter went to work, and then when she went to pick her up that night, the apartment was empty, and the phone had been cut off. And then she searched different locations where they had gone, like parks and Fusion Nightclub, and in in fact, the 20th, she thought Zanny might be at Fusion Nightclub. So she went to Fusion, and she participated in a hot body contest. And the only two of her friends who knew about Kaylee being missing were the imaginary Jeffrey Hopkins, whose imaginary son, uh, Zachary, was supposedly babysit, you know, was supposedly uh, a client of Zanny the Nanny, and her imaginary friend, Juliette Lewis, who had never worked at Universal or any subsidi- uh, subsidiary of Universal. Um, right. So, uh, like I said, the girl, you know, if she put half the effort into finding a career path and following it and doing a job, she would have been unstoppable. You ain't lying. Not to, but uh, instead, to she she spent all her time. Just, you know, thinking up the next wild tale and the wild story Mm -hmm. to tell people, to explain whatever. Um, And so, as we talked about, they're at Universal and they're talking to her. And you really have to listen to these interviews to get the full Casey Anthony experience. They're telling her, we know this is all bull. We know this is not, you know, these people don't exist. This is not what happened. Tell us what really happened. If it was an accident, tell us. 
thing went crazy? Tell us. We can help you if you just tell us and tell us the truth. And so then comes the phone call story to bolster the false kidnapping story to uh, and, and, and she swears that what she's saying is the truth. And I mean the the twisted thing is I think she was able to convince herself that it was true. No, I you know, I take a more cynical view. Um, I don't think she convinced herself of anything. I think she wanted to see how far she could go and how much she could get away with. And she's still trying to get away with it. You know, in a year ago, she gave an interview, and she's still sticking to her story that she doesn't know what happened to Kaylee. She doesn't know how Kaylee got in that swamp, um, you oh, know, and that knowledge. she had absolutely no knowledge. Wow. So the claim about her drowning in the pool, now she doesn't even remember that. Yeah, I was about to say, um, so that goes window. Yeah, so, no, I I think she knows exactly what she's doing. I think she's a con artist. And, you know, I she's you know she's con she's been conning a couple of people for the last seven years now. Um, she's supposedly working on uh, for some lawyer or investigator on quote wrongful conviction cases. Right. And I mean. It's just, you know, she's got, she's getting money from somewhere because she was looking at new cars a little while back. So, yeah, I think she's a yeah, con. I, think, I believe, didn't Jose say that he set something up or something for her to live off of? I don't know. Jose Baez is one of those people that I I like... I wouldn't believe him if his tongue came notarized. Oh yeah, I mean he's. I he's mean, an, he's a cockroach, but he is very good at his job. <laughs> well, no, he's. You know, that's the part of the problem. If it's not okay for prosecutors to be zealous in pursuit of a conviction then it's not okay for defense attorneys and defendants to lie through their teeth and call it the truth. Right. Um, And that's, you know, that's all, all he can do is showboat. And I think what he does is he confuses a jury and distracts a jury. You know, don't look at that. Look over here at this. And that, you know, that's all there is to it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So you mentioned the kidnapping story. Let's go in depth in that. What exactly was the kidnapping story? 
Well, like I said, Kay, Casey claimed that she had dropped Kaylee off with Zanny the nanny, went to work. When she got off work that evening, the apartment was bare. The phone was disconnected. And she had no idea where Kaylee was. And she thought she could handle it herself. And her imaginary friends, Jeffrey Hopkins and Juliette Lewis, were helping her look for Zanny. And she was going to all sorts of places to look for Zanny. And never finding her. And never finding Kaylee. And then, lo and behold, one day, she gets a phone call from Kaylee. But Kaylee doesn't say anything about where she is or who she's with or what she's doing, but tells her a story about a dolphin or something. Right. And then, you know... And she, now, if I'm remembering correctly, she said Zany kidnapped her, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. She said okay. Zanny the nanny kidnapped her. Right. And for 31 days, she didn't call the police to report her daughter missing. Had no idea where her daughter was, but thought she could handle it herself. So she had to go to some nightclubs to look for Zanny and and participate in hot body contests because maybe she thought Zanny would have be in the hot body contest too. Hey, I mean, and maybe she thought, well, if I lose the hot body contest, maybe Zanny will give me my daughter back. Yeah. That's, there you go. That was the <laughs> ransom. That was the and ransom, right? It, there. We figured it out. It's crazy. But in the meantime, while, during that time, she's telling her mom that Kaylee was in Jacksonville, that Zanny was in a car accident and they couldn't travel, that um, she was working in Tampa, that she was at, uh, like I said, at Disney for a princess brunch or breakfast that she was at SeaWorld having a great time, that she was going to all the different parks in the Universal in the Universal Disney uh, satellite um, and just having a grand old time and didn't want to see Grandma and JoJo anymore right now because right. she's having too much fun. Not, Absolutely. I mean, the one person, the two people you would expect who would know that Kaylee had been kidnapped would be George and Cindy. Right. But not if their daughter's lying to them. Right. So, um, and then, you know, she kept, I mean, she kept the kidnapping story going because during the jail visits with George and Cindy, she was always, you know, trying to, continuing to tell the same story and she got would get very angry and upset when Cindy would kind of press for more information and not let it go when when Casey would say, well, I don't really know. And again, to get the full Casey Anthony experience, you need to listen to the interrogations and watch those jail visits because it gives you an idea of just how devious the woman was. But it also, it speaks volumes for what she doesn't say. When she and George are alone, she doesn't say, Dad, this shit is getting too real. 
you got to go to the police. you got to tell them Kaylee drowned and that I was freaked out and you were freaked out and you did something with the body and I don't know anything about it. Right. She was talking about how much she loved them and all this stuff. Yeah. Well, of course, yeah. they said they, wouldn't, they and, couldn't do nothing you know, for. It's like your daughter's been missing for 31 days. You've been lying to police. Uh, they know you're lying to them, and they arrest you, and you're saying, I'm here arrested for no reason. I mean, yes, there's a reason. Your daughter was missing for 31 days, and you didn't call police. Yeah. Needless to say, that's only slightly neglect, which was one of the things she was charged with. Correct. Correct. She was charged with felony child neglect. Um, I, You know, generally, the, the kind of general rule with kidnapping or missing children is if you don't find them within the first 72 hours, the longer it goes the worse the outcome will be. And so with Kaylee's case, I think when the when the Orange County Sheriff's Office, even though, you know, they did investigate and they did follow leads and they did try to find Kaylee, and, of course, we recall civilians came out in droves to try to find Kaylee. Um, I think the, the Sheriff's Office knew something had happened probably from day one. And really, when you think about it logically, there is no reason not to report an accidental drowning to 911 immediately. Absolutely no reason. Even if you took your eyes off the kid for 10 minutes and they managed to get out and get into a pool and drown, there's still no reason not to call 911 to summon right, help because you don't know you, you weren't watching them for 10 minutes. They might have only been in the pool for an, a minute or two minutes. There might be hope. And, you know, I think uh, Florida has a lot of water, a lot of pools because they have a very temperate climate. Drowning is a common event in Florida and children drowning is common in Florida and you know police handle it I don't I don't think they they very rarely charge anybody unless it's somebody who like left the kids in the house and went off and the kids were too young to be left by themselves if it's something along those lines but if it's I got a phone call and I was on the phone and, you know, I wasn't watching. Oh, my God. And usually parents of kids who accidentally drown, they do have guilt and remorse. And so they don't, you know, they they express that naturally. And they probably would not, you know, be that upset if they were charged. Sometimes they feel worse if they're not charged. So, I mean, there's just no reason not to report Kaylee missing. If it had been an accident. 
I completely agree with that statement. I mean, it just it makes no sense. Right, and and George's, you know, George's activities and demeanor during those thirty-one days are not consistent with him being involved in hiding Kaylee's body because he went to work that day. So we're expected to believe that this man found his granddaughter dead, got a laundry bag from the house, wrapped her in a blanket, put her in the laundry bag, put the laundry bag in, I think, two black plastic bags, drove down the road, took her body back into the woods and left it there, and then came out and went to work. And during that time, and when Casey was brought home by Cindy, dragged home kicking and screaming by Cindy, he had no idea. He displayed no knowledge of what was going on. When he's interviewed by police on the 15th, 16th, 17th, he had no idea where Kaylee was. And during all the time that they searched for Kaylee, he displayed nothing that suggested he had any idea where Kaylee was. And I found something extremely interesting in July, there was an email from one of the prosecutors to Jose Baez, and it was offering use immunity to Casey uh, if she would provide information about where Kaylee was, which... Uh, the uh, the defense, Jose Baez, obviously turned down. But, um, you know, that's that's interesting. So they offered her immunity if she was like, yeah, I killed her? Well, not that she would say, yeah, I killed her, but they were offering limited use immunity um, to... Uh, participate in locating Kaylee. Right. So uh, Baez had approached the sheriff's office asking them to reach out to uh, the prosecutor's office that he wanted to talk, he wanted to have Casey talk to the sheriff's office, but before she talked to the sheriff's office, he wanted a limited use immunity for her. So what exactly does limited use immunity mean? That means if she had said the body is off of uh, Suburban Drive in the woods and taken them to the location, that they probably would not have been able to use that against her. In a criminal trial. Okay. Doesn't mean they couldn't have. It doesn't mean that they couldn't have. uh, They could have prosecuted her still for charges arising from the death, but they just could not use the fact that Casey had taken them to the body. Okay. 
So, I mean, there's a long laundry list of uh, charges here, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven charges here Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, are listed. And, uh, I mean, let's go through them one by one. All right. Um, Initially, in July, Casey was only arrested for um, felony child neglect uh, because Kaylee had been missing for 31 days and she hadn't reported it, and then she had lied to police officers about the circumstances of Kaylee's disappearance. Sometime shortly after that, she was arrested and charged with check fraud, fraudulent use of identification, and petty theft. That was for the theft from her friend Amy while she was using Amy's car and apparently found Amy's checkbook in the glove compartment. So it was fair game for her to clean Amy's bank account out. Um. And then in October, she was indicted uh, on first-degree murder, which is capital murder, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and four counts of providing false information to police. Right. And, I mean, she only ends up getting convicted on one of these, correct? She was convicted on the four providing false information counts. And that is one of the things that has always baffled me. If she lied to police about the circumstances of Kaylee's death, then how do you not find that she's in some way responsible for it Perhaps not first-degree capital murder, but aggravated manslaughter of a child. Right, absolutely. You know, manslaughter is you didn't intend the death to occur, but your, uh, your actions were substantially... Uh, certain to cause harm or death. That's not the exact, that's not the correct wording. My mind blanked (laughs) on that. But, you know, it's not that you intended to do it, but it happened because, you know, you left her in the car. I mean, I have often kind of, you know, tried to play with this in my mind and could she have maybe tranquilized her with Xanax or cough syrup or chloroform to get her to sleep, put her in the trunk, and then been gone longer than she should have been and come back to find that she was dead either heat exhaustion. Because June in Florida is not pleasant. And I would imagine inside a car, even with a window open, it's incredibly uncomfortable. Oh, I can imagine. And see, the thing is with, you know, the reason why I wanted to delve into the charges, too, 
in addition to them being listed here, I've heard theories, and I want to ask you about this. Should they have not gone for the first-degree murder? Should they have charged her with, say, second-degree murder? I've heard that jurors have said that they would have been able to convict her. Well, that would be uh, total bull because, again, they had aggravated manslaughter of a child. Which is even less than second degree murder. True. And they didn't convict her. So jurors that claim they they could have convicted her of second degree murder. I'm looking at the indictment. And the indictment has aggravated manslaughter of a child. Arising from Casey's death. Kaylee's death. Um, So, you know, the jurors have lesser included offenses, and uh, give me just a second here, I'm going to see on the jury charges if they uh, had second-degree murder as a lesser-included offense. Um, Let's see. Okay. No. Uh, she was charged with murder in the first degree, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child. Aggravated manslaughter of a child is a lesser included offense of first degree murder or second degree murder. Right. And the jury instructions say if you find Kaylee Marie Anthony was killed by Casey Marie Anthony, you will then consider the circumstances surrounding the killing in deciding if the killing was murder in the first degree or was murder in the second degree or manslaughter or third-degree felony murder. So, and, you know, they had the lesser-included offenses. Um, That they could have convicted her, and like I said, they could have convicted her of the manslaughter uh, of a child. So, uh, no. First degree murder, I think the basis of the first degree murder was the duct tape, the lies, the disposal of the body, and the um, lying when you know police begin investigating. Because the only reason to lie is to prevent them from finding what happened. And I, you know, I think that putting duct tape over a child's nose and mouth is a deliberate act. Right. So um, I I completely agree with that. I mean, uh, I just um, I don't know. But we went down the charges list, and then the body was found after she was formally charged with all this. Yes, because she was uh, indicted, like I said, in October. Because by that time they hadn't found Kaylee. 
um, they, uh, you know, there was there was very little chance that she was still alive by that time. And they found no evidence that Zanny the Nanny existed, no evidence Jeffrey Hopkins ever existed, Juliet Lewis ever existed, um, all those things that corroborated Zanny. Um, just, you know, nothing. So then Kaylee, Kaylee's body was found in December. Now, interestingly, in October sometime... End of September, beginning of October, a child's body was found near the airport, which was, I think, close to the neighborhood, but a little bit more removed. And inmates with Casey said Casey knew that that wasn't Kaylee. When the body was found in December of 2008, Casey freaked out according to jail personnel and other inmates, Casey freaked out when she saw on the... Because it was, you know, a big story, and they broke in during the day when the, the operation started in the at the crime scene to recover the remains and evidence. And Casey freaked out. And I remember hearing that she actually had to go like to the medical office for a panic attack. Wow. Now it was, you know, it was reported from jail sources and, you know, whether, I'm sure Jose Bias will deny that it ever happened, but, you know, produce those jail records and prove it didn't. (laughs) But yeah, she freaked out. The question is, now... And obviously, I'm not on her side. But the question I have is: is it, was it a angry freakout, like "Oh my God, I can't believe they found her," or was it a "Hey, my child's been found dead"? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I, stuff I like think that. it was no. I think it was more a "Oh shit, they found the body that I thought they would never find, and now I'm going to go to death row." Right. And because I don't have a lie to cover this up. And I put stuff from the house, the Winnie the Pooh blanket, the laundry hand, the laundry bag, the duct tape. Those were all from the house. Mhm. And those all right, tied right. the body of the house. And in fact, one of the one of the comments made by Jeffrey Ashton in one of the interviews he did was that that those findings those items blew the whole kidnapping story right out of the water. Uh huh. Well, before we get into the trial, we need to take a quick commercial break, but we will come back. Uh, we're going to discuss what probably can be considered the biggest trial since OJ at that point. I believe it got up to OJ level proportions, you know, between uh, between between you know Nancy Grace and all the mainstream media coverage and everything else going around. This trial, uh, 
you know, yeah. I, I believe it probably. I I think this this was the first social media trial. Mhm. Where, you know, news, Twitter feeds and things like that were available in an instant. Which OJ's case didn't have even though it was televised. But we didn't have for those who couldn't sit and watch it on TV, we didn't have any Twitter reporting or anything like that that we see now. Right. Right. Well, we'll be right back with more uh, clear and convincing uh, Casey Anthony episode right after this. Are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Sub Ohm Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub Ohm Vapors located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas, want to see you. Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub Ohm Vapors. Vape it like you built it. Amounted to the biggest trial since since O.J. Simpson, in that you know the media coverage was fervent on this. You know, oh Tom yeah, Mom, right from day one. Absolutely, I've heard people say that it was the media that possibly swayed the jury as well. You know, the they said that it seemed like the media was out on a witch hunt. So, I mean, you well, got to wonder. Yeah, but if, if, the, if the media was out on a witch hunt, the jury would have convicted Casey, not let her walk. So, um, no. <laughs> but the, the thing is, is that Judge Perry actually chose a jury from another 
location, another county in Florida, and then brought them to Orlando, and they were sequestered for the entire entire trial. And one of the parts of that process of selecting jurors were jurors who did not have a lot of information about the case and had not formed any opinions. And as we can see from the verdict, it's probably true. They hadn't formed any opinions and didn't have a lot of information. So, you know, people want to blame the media. And, you know, that's the thing, that's the the most uh, hypocritical part of Jose Baez is he complains and bitches and moans and blames the media but you know he was he was putting his face in front of the cameras every damn day. Very true. I mean, they, they good lord, it was every it was literally every day. Every I believe every second of that trial was broadcast, whether it be on mm-hmm. court TV or what have you. Every second yeah. of that trial was broadcast. I I watched parts of it online. Uh, and so. I mean, Hats off to the judge. You know, people were auctioning off tickets to get into this trial. Yes. People were fighting to get into the trial. It it was a circus. And, you know, yeah, the media contributes to that to a degree, but I think, you know, there's a fine line between secret proceedings and public access. And this was emotionally charged because it involved a young child. Mm-hmm. And a mother who was charged with her murder and facing so the death gonna, penalty. I've got to ask you, before we get into the prosecution's case and get into the meat and taters of this trial, I've got to ask you, do you think that this trial would have gotten as much attention had it not been for Nancy Grace? Um, You know, yeah, I think it would have gotten as much attention because it got attention from CBS, ABC, Good Morning America, uh, CNN. We, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, we have the social media era. And if not for Nancy Grace, there would have been somebody else sitting in her chair. Jane Velas Mitchell, Diane Diamond. Very Uh, true. I mean, I I guess Nancy was just a figurehead in there, but I mean, I just. Nancy's Nancy's one of the the loud and strident voices. And, you know, she has, um, she's made her career in television as a victim's advocate. And you often see her reporting uh, information that a lot of other, you know, news organizations would shy away from. Now, there have, there are some controversies. There was a, a child disappearance and she hounded and accused the mother 
and the mother ended up committing suicide. And turns out she wasn't really involved in the child's death. I think that was mm-hmm. just around or, or just before or just after Casey Anthony. Right. She's a bulldog. You know, plain and simple. She but she was also a very effective prosecutor. <laughs> so, um, but no, I, you know, there would have been somebody else. The same, you know, the same accusations are being made about Jody Arias and Dahlia DiPolito. And, you know, like I said, it's a fine line between secret proceedings. And really, when it comes down to it, defense attorneys only want what they want out there. Right. They want to try their cases in the media. And I think one of the problems that they have with Nancy Grace is she will not let them try their cases in the media. She will refute their cases. Right. And, you know, so, you know, like, it's a fine line, and if you don't agree with it, then don't watch it. If if they don't have the ratings, they won't stay on the air. That's very true. That's very true, and I believe, actually, Nancy just got off the air. It's either later this year or next year, I believe she's supposed to be uh, either moving on from CNN and moving out of television, period, or uh, just moving well, on to CNN. I, for sure. I think she has actually, she has already moved off TV. She's uh-huh. no longer on HLN, CNN. She does still work as a commentator on Good Morning America, and then she and Dan Abrams had Grace versus Abrams, which was actually a pretty good show. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a few of the episodes, but um, she she's doing a podcast, which I've listened to. I'm not real fond of her because I think sometimes she goes a little bit overboard. Right. She's the Bill O'Reilly and, court team. And gets a little bit too strident for me. Um, but like I said, she's a victim's advocate and she is a bulldog. She's very intelligent. She was an effective prosecutor and she's very passionate and she thinks on her feet. And one of the only reasons I would watch her show, for example, during the Jody Arias trial because when she would get those defense attorneys on there and they would start hemming and hawing about trying to explain why Jody would lie to police and why Jody would never tell them about self-defense and, uh, you know, she would just smack them down. And I can remember a couple of defense attorneys, she cut their mics because they were trying to talk over her. And she was like, oh, no, this is my show. And she'd <laughs> tell her producer, cut the mic. And then you'd see the guy's mouth moving and no sound coming out. 
Um, which wow. one one would say is kind of rude, but uh, yeah, she doesn't Definitely. she doesn't take any bull. Yeah, she was she was one of a kind. But let's talk about the prosecution's case. You know, a lot of people say that this is the case that forced uh, the prosecutor, and I believe his first name was Ashton. I do not remember his Jeffrey. last name. No, his first name was Jeffrey. His last name was Ashton. Okay, okay. Then his last name was Ashton. I just remember he mm-hmm. was. They, they, they. Uh, pretty much, it appears that this was the case that forced him to uh, quit. So. Uh, well, I, I don't think that it forced him to quit. First of all, you know, no, no attorney ever knows exactly what a jury is going to do. You present your case. You do the best that you can to get everything in that you can get in. Uh, You do the best that you can to refute whatever defenses are uh, presented. You argue your case. And then it goes into the hands of the jury, and no, no attorney ever knows what a jury's going to do. And having right. a jury such as this one in Casey Anthony not convict her of any of the charges arising from Kaylee's death is not the black mark that people make it out to be. It may have been the case because it was so emotional and highly charged because the victim was a young child who had a life that was taken away, it may have been the one that made him say, look, I don't want to do this anymore. But I believe he was also getting close to being able to retire and have a pension from his job with the prosecutor's office and go into private practice. He wrote a book about the case called Imperfect Justice, which is an excellent book. And I would suggest anybody that has an interest in the case, read it. Um, so, you know, no, I don't think it's a black market. And I don't think the prosecution screwed anything up or did anything wrong. They had a tough case because Casey Anthony desecrated her child's body. Plain and simple. They could not prove how Kaylee died. They had no tissue to perform toxicology testing on. They had no soft tissue to determine whether she had been manually strangled or suffocated. There were no eyes to look for petechial hemorrhaging. There was no, like I said, no soft tissue to look for petechial hemorrhaging. There were no internal organs like heart or lungs to look for anything that could possibly give them an idea of what the the cause of death was and that wasn't their fault 
that was because Casey desecrated the body by putting it in two two garbage bags inside a laundry hamp a laundry bag and putting it into a swamp that was underwater mm-hmm. for four or five months in a hot, humid Florida summer and a just as hot, humid Florida fall. So, uh, you know, the jury had the false impression that the state had a burden to prove how the child died. And that wasn't the case. That was, you know, they misinterpreted the law Uh that was given to them by the court. Because nowhere in their jury instructions it says, as far as burden of proof, the state must prove how Kaylee died. Right. So... Um, and it's very true. Um, I mean, they were disappointed, but like I said, you can't, you don't know what a jury's going to do. It's a, it's a fifty-fifty crapshoot. Yeah. I, when you know the when you sit down after it. after making your rebuttal, and you know, I thought they did have a very strong case. Again, the jury expected something that it it was not going to get because of the actions of Casey Anthony, not because of the actions of the state. But, of course, Baez and Cheney Mason portrayed it as being the state's fault that they couldn't determine a cause of death. They could determine a manner, and they criticized the manner of death because they right. you know, criticized the, the duct tape on the face. Well, and to make a sports duct tape metaphor, been it's, there almost like Jose, it's almost like Jose Baez got got the prosecution's playbook beforehand and was literally able to know what play they were going to call it, what situation. No, I think it's more along the lines of just, uh, like I said, throwing so much information at the jury and distracting them by making them feel or believe that the state had to prove something it never had to prove. And, you know, then he, you know, before we get in, before we get into the defense claims, you know, he claimed that Casey Anthony was a victim of child molestation abuse and sexual abuse. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Some of the most shocking you know, claims I've ever heard in my life. And and that's why she's a liar. So don't hold her lying against her because it's a, a product of her alleged uh, victimization. So he kind of, you know, he made her appear to be a victim. Uh-huh. To get into the prosecution's case, it actually was fairly strong, although circumstantial. Um, Casey was the last person seen with Kaylee alive. Casey lied for 31 days and didn't report anything to police, her parents, 
her friends. Um, when when Kaylee was found, she was wearing a shirt that she was known to have. A blanket from her room was in the bag with her. Uh, the laundry blank, uh, the laundry basket or, or laundry bag was identical to one in the house that was sold in a pack of two. Uh, the duct tape that was found on the skull was uh, consistent with duct tape in the house. There was the whole keeping George out of the trunk when she stole his gas cans. Mm-hmm. There was the smell in the car when it was recovered. There was the stain in the trunk. And there was the, you know, residue of chloroform in the trunk. Um, those, those are all pretty circ- strong circumstances that and also the 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 condition of the body when it was found was consistent right. with having been in the woods since June you know, on the last day that Kaylee Google was seen alive. You look at the Google Pardon? searches, and that car just happens to smell like chloroform. It's Correct. just a whole... Mm. <clears throat> And then there was one thing that the the Orange County Sheriff's Office missed. They did not search the Mozilla Firefox browser history. Mm-hmm. And in that browser history, and apparently um, George and Cindy used Internet Explorer, but Casey used Mozilla Firefox. Right. And they had activity on Casey's social media accounts. Um, And they had searches at times when Cindy was at work. So, you know, even the search for for chloroform, it occurred at a time when Cindy was at work. And Cindy perjured herself by saying, oh, no, no, that was me. And I think her, her story was, oh, no, I had somebody punch me out that day which I think she lost her job. I can imagine. So So let's um, talk about the defensive case. You know, the counter to the pigs in the blanket was, I guess the, uh, what, if you call the prosecution pigs in the blanket, what do you have to call the defense? Fish out of water. Crazy father. No, they uh, Baez alleged that Kaylee got into the pool and drowned, that George found her, told Casey, your mother's going to never forgive you, and you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life, which isn't true if it was really an accident. And then Casey begged him to help her, and so he dumped Kaylee's body in the woods. Uh, Again, we've talked about it. Nothing in his demeanor between June and December when Kaylee's body was found, you know, gives any indication that he knew where she was all along. 
it, it's not, you know, Jose Bias going to the prosecution and saying, hey, George Anthony wants to talk to you, but before he talks to you, he needs limited use immunity. No, Jose Bias was going to them saying, my client needs to talk to you, you know, to help you find her daughter, uh, but she wants use immunity before she does that. And then reneging on, you know, that uh, deal. Right. But, uh, you know, he didn't try to commit suicide until after Kaylee's body was actually found. You would think right. if and he makes- really had a guilty conscience, that guilty conscience would have been bugging him in August, September, Long before October, the body was November, before the body was ever found. I mean, in, in October when Casey was charged and rearrested and put back in jail, you would right. think and you would think that- in these videos. You would think in these videos of him watching his daughter in jail and all that, you'd think he would have some sort of tale. You'd be able to right, tell that right. he had to do And, you know, you would think that she would say something. So, and that's the sad, I mean, this, Jose Baez, this whole defense was really an example of pulling the wool over a jury's eyes. Giving him this story about an accidental drowning and dumping the body because Casey didn't want to go to jail for the rest of her life, even though that's not what it would have happened. Um, there's no reason to cover up an accidental death. And I've never in my life, no matter who the victim was, bought a natural or accidental death. If you have a natural or accidental death, you call police. You call medical personnel. You try to get help for the person. You don't take their body and bury it somewhere and then tell people he ran off with another woman or she was kidnapped by a babysitter or she decided to leave me for another man and then keep that lie going for years or months until the body pops up and then all of a sudden, well, it was an accident but I was scared so I buried the body. And in this case, we got, in true Casey fashion, never owning up to anything that she does. She's saying, I have no idea what happened. I don't know how she died. I don't know how she came to be in those woods. All I know is somebody said they'd take care of it, and they took care of it, and I just blocked it out of my mind. I mean, that's your child, but it's a child she didn't want. When she got pregnant, she wanted to give the baby up for adoption, but Cindy wouldn't let her. But then when Cindy maybe has said something about getting custody of Kaylee and throwing Casey out of the house, then Casey doesn't want her to have Kaylee. And Casey had some disturbing statements um, talking about how Cindy and George loved Kaylee more than they loved her. She broke up with her fiancé because he loved Kaylee more than he loved her. And that's very disturbing. 
And that is extremely disturbing. And that's what makes me think that Casey's actions were entirely 100% deliberate. They may have been impulsive, but that she did not want Kaylee around, whether it was to get back at her mother, to prevent Kaylee from, you know, blowing her secret about not having a job and not having a nanny and not, you know, being successful. Um, it was deliberate. Because right. face it, she could go on Good Morning America tomorrow morning and say, yep, I killed her. I put duct tape over her face. I dosed her with chloroform. And then I left her in the car and I went with Tony and we went and looked at videos and we went in his apartment and we watched the movie and the next morning when I came out, she was dead. And so I took her and took her to Suburban Drive and threw her off the, you know, off the road. Yep, I did it. And the, nobody, nothing could be done to her legally. Uh-huh. Because the statute of limitations on anything related to disposal of Kaylee's body have run. And she can't be charged with murder again. Very true. Very true. That's the depressing part about all this. You pretty much get one shot and, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out. And, you know, that does, that gets into the verdict here as she was, uh, as you alluded to, she was found not guilty on everything but the providing false information to police. And I believe Correct. she was pretty much time served, wasn't she? Maybe she had 30 more days? She, yeah, she. Um, I, I think she was time served and only served about 30 days. The, the verdict came down on July 5th. And I think she was released early sometime toward the end of July 2011. Yeah. It's just one of them things that, you know, since then she's been in Ohio. Uh, She's been contacted to do multiple books, all sorts of stuff. So, you know, but the important... Well, uh, she she can't really do anything. She, She did have... Excuse me. She did have a lawsuit uh, filed by Zenaida Gonzalez. That was eventually dismissed. She filed for bankruptcy. And she's also being sued by uh, Roy Cronk, the utility worker who found Kaylee's body. Because at some point during the defense, they accused Roy Cronk of killing Kaylee. Right, I remember that. And then also I believe that there is a dispute with Dominic Casey, who was an investigator for for Casey. Um, And he has come out with some pretty explosive allegations, um, one of which was that Baez told him Casey killed Kaylee. 
and now they were just going to be throwing things at the wall to see what would stick to get her off. Well, I mean, and I've heard all sorts also of allegations stuff about Baez. Oh, wait a second, it gets better. Allegations mm-hmm. that Baez was getting sexual favors from Casey because Casey couldn't pay his legal bills, even though right. he's being One paid by the state of Florida. One gentleman uh, had said that um, in this uh, documentary that came out last year around this time, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but it came out from Investigation Discovery about this time last year. And one of the uh, workers, I guess, at his firm at the time uh, said that he walked in on uh, Casey uh, giving Jose Baez, a, uh, for lack of a better term, a blowjob. And she just kind of, you know, bluntly walked out and walked out. Ran out. Fuck naked, yeah. Uh, That's Dominic Casey. (laughs) Yeah, that's Dominic Casey. So, um, that, so, and selling her rights to her life story, um, she filed for bankruptcy. So, the bankruptcy court is going to get anything that she might get. And, as I understand it, I, I read an article uh, today on, I think it was ID's blog, uh, that mm-hmm. if she does try to do a book or a movie or anything like that, Cindy and George are going to be uh, pouncing on her. Well, good. Good, because she doesn't so, need to um, for girl. And she's back in Florida. Is she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think she's in the Palm Beach area. Um, she is supposedly working for an investigator, living in his house, and working for him, helping people who are wrongly accused, like her, she says. Wow. Well, you know, let's talk about the... Uh most important thing that has happened post trial and that's Caleb's law. Yes. Um, several states have enacted laws that basically make it mandatory that caretakers, parents or caretakers report a missing child within a prescribed period of time. And that varies from state to state. Um, and that they report the death of a child within mm-hmm. a prescribed period of time. And they have made it a felony to fail to report a missing child or a uh, child who's in danger or a child who has died. And um, so far, the laws have passed in Louisiana. Florida and Alabama, uh, South Carolina, New Jersey, Illinois, Michigan, and a couple of states in the Midwest that I don't know for sure which ones they are because there's no names on the map. And it's been, I don't know, 40 years since I've had a geography cat class. (laughs) Right. So North Carolina... South Dakota, Virginia, and Wisconsin, and Kansas um, have all passed bills. The Arkansas legislature has not passed a bill 
but I believe that people are circulating uh, petitions and things like that in several other states to uh, get them to also enact their own bills. And I printed the Louisiana uh, legislature's bill. Mm -hmm. And um, there's criticism because people say, oh, well, well, what if the parents, uh, what if the child dies in the hospital and the parents don't realize that they have to report that? Well, if a child dies in a hospital, a doctor's going to be signing a death certificate. And the, uh, the, you know, death will be reported. Um. This basically covers the situation like Kaylee, where the allegation is that she drowned in the pool. So uh, let me get Louisiana's version. Um, and it's, it varies like in Louisiana, um, if the child is under the age of 18, you have to report their death within 24 hours and mm-hmm. if they're under the age of 13 you have to report them missing let's see I'm I'm pulling my my summary out here okay if under the age of 13 you have to report a disappearance within 14 hours 14 hours if the child is found dead then uh, failure to report is punishable by imprisonment between two and 50 years or a fine up to $50,000. If the child is missing more than six months but not dead, two and ten years, fine $25,000. A a physically or sexually abused child, imprisonment up to ten years, fine of $10,000. And if the child is found unharmed, prison up to six months, and a fine up to 500. So if you don't report the child but they're found unharmed, it's a misdemeanor. Um, ages 14 to 17, you have 26 hours to report a disappearance. And a death of a child under 18 would be within an hour. And then there's no real specifications for a child over age 18. And there's also within that law are um, penalties and prohibitions about about providing false information to law enforcement. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and that passed in 2012 and became effective August 1st, 2012. And it is uh, revised statute 14403. 3D and E, 403.7, and 403.8. Louisiana Revised Statute, Chapter 14. Right, right. Well, Lisa, I think we've pretty much covered everything there is to uh, speak about Casey. Let's go ahead and tell us what, what are we talking about next week. All right. Well, next week we're going to be talking about Scott Peterson, another um, media frenzy case. 
Uh, it also involved the disappearance of his wife, Lacey, who was pregnant with their first child, a son that they were going to name Connor. Um, there was a lot of media attention and Scott's efforts to avoid uh, having his face on TV were unsuccessful, which resulted in his girlfriend contacting police and saying, I've been dating Scott Peterson since November. And then she began recording telephone calls, which gave us some uh, very interesting insight into Scott Peterson and his character. So right, that that right. will be that will be the topic of next week. He was terrible, and I can't wait to uh, get into into talking about uh, what he did. So that'll definitely yeah. be an interesting couple of weeks we got coming up here uh, oh, over for the sure. next little while. But, but I certainly uh, hope everybody out there has a good week a week, and I can't wait to talk to and, you all next week, Lisa. Yeah, and I'm gonna do my little outro. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook at Clear and Convincing Podcast. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us next week for Episode 19, State of California versus Scott Peterson. On Christmas Eve 2002, Lacey Peterson, who was about to deliver her first child, was reported missing by her mother. When her husband's attempt to avoid media attention were unsuccessful, his girlfriend, Amber Fry, contacted investigators and agreed to secretly record her phone calls with Skye. When Lacey and her son's bodies washed up in San Francisco Bay, near the area where Scott claimed to have gone fishing on Christmas Eve, he was arrested and charged with the murders of Scott, uh, with Lacey Peterson and Connor Peterson. So we look forward to talking to you about that case, and everybody have a great week. Stay safe. Bye. <laughs>